Hello, and welcome to Pragmatic Live, Pragmatic Marketing's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. My name is Rebecca Calajaris, and today I am joined by our very own Diane Pearson. Hello, Diane. Hi, Rebecca. Diane, we had a great podcast with you just a couple weeks ago, and we're thrilled to have you again. Oh, thrilled to be here. Now, one of the things as an instructor, and you've been an executive in the product space for a long time, you're an instructor, you go out and see hundreds of customers, hundreds of clients, you see some really common trends, right? You see some things that come up a lot. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what, what you're seeing and then what you expect to see coming up. That sounds great. All right, so let's start with what are you seeing? What are you hearing uh, with great frequency out in the market? Well, you know, like you said, Rebecca, I'm out on the road every week and uh, working with students as an instructor all over the U.S. and around the world. And, you know, we all just got together, all the instructors at our, um, our annual meeting, and we got a chance to talk about what we're all hearing. And so this is also fresh in my mind because we were just talking about it. And it's interesting how, how things are changing but also staying the same. And when you hear from leadership of product teams or, or heads, of, heads of marketing, heads of sales, what they're all saying about their product teams is that the teams are in the weeds. And you know, they really want strategic thinking from their product teams. They also, though, while they love to hear all the new ideas and the new directions from the teams, they're feeling pressed to address the roadmaps they've already got and the strategic directions they've already set. And, and how do they balance that? How do they not damp down all the creativity and excitement of their product teams, but, but get them to focus on the things that are, are strategically important to the business over the next three years? The other thing that the leadership teams say are, hey, you know, I know you're passionate about this idea, but but how did you come up this, you know, what's the data behind it? And how, how do you know it's going to sell? <laughs> so, so that's what we're hearing from the leadership. Now from the product teams, it's, it's funny because they hear, you know, when, when we share this with them, they say, Oh really? They want us to get out of the weeds, huh? Well, then they, they ought to goal us that way <laughs> because they're feeling micromanaged. They're, they're feeling like they're, they're put in a box and, and you know, their, their goals are, you know, how many, how many trade shows, so they're feeling like you, know, you want us to, you're saying you want us to be strategic, but you're, you're, you're deriving us to be very tactical. And they also feel like, you know, we feel like we're put in a box directionally too. You come into the requirements meetings or, or you come back from a lunch with a customer and tell us, oh, I, I just heard this thing. I'd love you to put this on the roadmap. And then our next two years are set. And one thing I think they're also feeling from the product team perspective is they want to get more insight and and understand more about what you mean when you don't when you want to hear more about justification so what do you mean by justification and, and sometimes they don't feel like they've got the skills or they've got the knowledge to go out and get that research they just don't know how to do it and when they come to class it's great because they're saying this is what i needed these are the tools i needed but you know they're 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 wondering what those tools are like how do i how do i do this uh, so when you're talking about is so the kind of the the executive pushback is, you know, why are you saying this? Prove to me that this is the right approach. And they're just not sure what that means. What kind of data is the executive team really looking for? How can I get that data and how can I present it succinctly? Exactly. Yeah, they're they they know that and sometimes they've got the data. They're just expressing mm. wrong. Right. 
they're expressing facts as opinion. They come in and say, you know, I really think we should do this rather than our market research showed us that this is the right way to go. And, and based on that research, here's the kind of revenue opportunity we have. And, and it's not even so much a matter of they didn't do the homework as they're not expressing it right. Well, that's interesting. That's, that's, a powerful, uh, that's a powerful difference, right? Same information. And I'm sure that those facts did change your opinion, but you got to lead with the facts and the data and the source first. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, we're, when, when we got together as instructors, we were hearing this, all of us were hearing the same thing, both, you know, I, either I'm not sure how to get that information or, oh, okay, I've, I've got that. I've just been expressing all this great stuff as my opinion. So yeah, I can do that. I can, I can talk their language. So a lot of interesting things. And you know, the other thing they're saying, it's not even so much them, but they're hearing frustration from the teams they work with. Mm. And, and, and what we know from that is that the other teams feel like, the development team feels like you're coming to me with an order. You know, you're telling me you want a database or you're telling me you want this built versus you're not bringing me the problem. I've, I've got all sorts of experience in how to solve it. And, you know, so the teams are frustrated. The development team's frustrated. The marketing communications team is frustrated. They're also, the, the thing that's changing and has been changing for several years is is the way to interact with customers. And Rebecca, I know that this has been a challenge that, that we face. You know, customers are more informed than ever. They go get information before they come to us. They don't want to talk to us right now. Right. You know, they, they, they go out and make a lot of the decision before they ever want to talk to us. And the team is struggling with how do we, how do we get them the information that helps them make the decision in a legitimate and authentic way without pushing ourselves on them. And, and how do we get what we need to build the right stuff without irritating them? And so that that challenge in in an ever more digital age is is disturbing them. It's, it worries them. They don't want to bug customers, but they do want to solve their problems. They they want to let them know we're out there and all the cool things they offer. That's interesting. And gosh, you brought up a lot of good points there, right? So one was the micromanagement that we're frustrated with. From our leadership teams, we are frustrating our department uh, peers with, right? That, you know, we hate it when they tell us what what we're trying to accomplish. We'll take it from there. Are we doing the same thing to our partners, right? Exactly. That's really, I think that's a really good point. But uh, you know, am I telling development how to build something? Am I telling sales how to build or how to sell, or am I arming them to sell? I think that's a great point. And your second point about how we no longer control, if we ever did, right, the customer's decision process, or the, certainly not, you know, the first half of it, if not more, and how much we have to find ways to get the correct information in front of them. And I really liked that you used in an authentic way. Uh, this is not like I got the information in front of them because I dropped a, a big mailer <laughs> on their desk, but how, where are they? What do they look for? Who do they trust? How can we leverage those things? Exactly. Yeah. What what tools do they need when in this process and understanding that process and and realizing that yeah there there are other people they trust. You know they're they're gonna they're gonna go to their influencers and and their sources of information and and we don't want to do anything but just make sure that the the real information and and the the opportunity to to give us a chance is out there. As well as if we've got some thought leadership we can share with them, you know, how, how do we get it into the right spots and, and how do we make sure it's not, you know, we're not 
trying to sell when we really we really do want to try to inform and educate and help. Uh, it, it's it's a new world for a lot of businesses out there. Um, they've been struggling with it for maybe five or seven years, and they're still still just not comfortable with it. Okay, so those are some big trends, right? You know the the desire for the leadership team to keep asking us to be strategic, but the disconnect between what that really means and 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 how to actually enable the team to do that. Um, our our peer relationships and then our customer relationships. Mm-hmm. What other, any other common trends? There's one more that I, I think is um, something that we all heard coming up more and more, and that is the, res- the, the response from a product perspective to the things that are happening in the world. And, you know, we, we work with technology companies, and, and technology today, you know, that, that used to be, it used to be sort of these, these hardware, it was boxes and wires and, and, and mystery tools to, to a lot of the world, but Almost everything we work with today is technology. Mm. You know, our, our homes are our, our technology boxes, and we carry more technology than most businesses had 20 years ago. So the challenge of how that's impacting the entire world and the fact that the world, in fact, now impacts what we can build and the influence of cultural norms and cultural expectations and geopolitical changes and the role of regulation and litigation because things like medicine mm. and health are are so bound up in technology today that and now in turn there's so much regulation and litigation and culture in that that not only influences but demands a response from the world of technology and and product teams in technology that that where where technology sits in our world and and how it interacts is so different, and so the products that we build now are are not only built differently but marketed differently. We take them to market in a different way. So so we hear that so much more. That I, I think that it, it used to be its own world and now it is the world, mm. and or the world is impacting it. So there's there's some some real pros and cons there. Oh. I love that. It used to be its own world and now it is the world. I think that's a great way of summing it up. So I also find interesting about all these trends, Diane, is that they do mirror what we see in the survey that we run every year, right? Those same kind of trends and the problems and those issues bubble up to the top pretty frequently. You know, the survey is something we wait for probably as much as as our markets do. I did one of the things we talked about a lot while we were off site at the instructor meeting was exactly this. You know, we, we love the infographics that you put together on this. And I, what I did was I, I dug up the one from, from 2014 and then was looking at the one from 2017. And it's just, you know, it, it's fascinating. Things are, things are changing and things are staying the same. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I think um, you and I talked a little bit about this, but, but the, the common problems right the the um some of the pain points were the same if anything but they'd gotten deeper right so the same pain points were there but they were they the pain was even stronger they needed more relief (laughs) well yeah exactly and and, you know i I thought that it was it was good to have the what's ailing product professionals now um you know because what i noticed from 2014 to 2017 was that more people, more more respondents were giving more responses, which meant that they were feeling more pain, you know, different kinds of pain. And 
I think a lot of that is that they're becoming more aware of it as they as they hone their own craft. That um, they were, I think it was something like four more answers from each person on average. A lot when you think about it. You know that they're feeling four more pains than they used to of the options that you gave them. That they're feeling more pain, and you know certainly working with sales is is still a big challenge in getting bigger. And I think that's because not so much that it's more of a challenge with them and their sales teams, but if I if I had to speculate, I think it's because of the change in how we have to, as an entire company building products for the world, have to go you know go to market to them. So sales is feeling more pain, and we're feeling more pain from a go to market perspective because of it. So that being said, certainly you know the the, the relationship with sales I think has always been tough for the product team. It's just always been, how do we get these guys to do the right things out in the market? <laughs> Stop doing all those quote unquote wrong things. Well, and I think it's both both the, the world changes that probably drive some of the additional friction between sales and product teams and the, the buying process change, right? The whole process is different now. When we talked about earlier that how much of it the customer does without us. So the interactions are in a much more compressed and with a much more informed a compressed time frame and a much more informed buyer base and that makes the sales process very different and as they work through those things I think that's another reason that those tension points have risen yeah and you know I I look forward I know in a future podcast we're going to get together and talk more about the survey and some of the outcomes of that survey and how the product teams can work with it so I, I hope um, I hope we get together and are able to do that soon Awesome. We definitely will because it's one of those things that uh, not only do our customers and our market talk about a lot, but it's something that you and I personally have dealt with with every job, every job that we have in, in our interactions with sales. And it's getting it right is critical. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've worked with so many great sales teams and, and had a great relationship with the sales teams that I was lucky enough to be able to work with them and, and you know, as you say, between the two of us, we've been able to get inside their heads a little bit and, and what, what some of these challenges are, and I know that we, as instructors, talk to a lot of people who have done this successfully, or even, you know, we, we've had, um, I just had, I think there were three people who had gone from sales into product, and it was great to have them in the class, the, you know, the classes over the past uh, couple weeks, just to, to hear what they have to say and the perspective they bring. It's, it's you know, that secret knowledge, it's like, ooh, this is, you know, right. this is cool. So, I married a sales guy. That way, too, I always have that inside track. I can be like, oh, wait. <laughs> Well, they, they give you a little bit of that reality check. And I, um, yeah. I got the, I was in sales for a, a little bit. I, I got the opportunity to manage sales uh, a couple times and you know, it, it, it's, it's important to understand where they're coming from. Yep. Yep. All right. So we will definitely do that, but I want to go here for a minute. So I had asked you, I said, this is, we're going to talk all about the trends that you're seeing and what's going on today. But I asked you to put your Swami hat on and kind of think about some future predictions, what you expected to see. And you sent these to me in advance, and I have to tell you, I've got to ask you about these because these were not what I was expecting. They're pretty interesting. They're good. I, I'm super excited <laughs> to hear what you got to say. All right, so your very first fortune that you told me was that sales teams would go away. Yeah, sales teams are going to go away. And, you know, you, you think about it, and I'm like, really? Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty dramatic, and I'm sure your husband is not going to be too happy. Right, this will not make him happy. <laughs> yeah, not going to make anybody happy. Probably doesn't make our sales team too happy, and... You know, when I when I say that, what I mean is 
yes, we we've seen all sorts of statistics. You know, Forrester has this, the famous statistic out, which which actually uh, there, there's a little bit more to that statistic if you look at the background. But you know, this this knowledge that's out there right now, this ambient knowledge that you know, B2B buyers are up to 70% through their decision-making process before they want to talk to a vendor. The time that sales spends and the relationship that sales has is is changing and shrinking. And it, when I say this, you know, our sales team is going to go away in, in some cases. Yeah, we are, we are making more and more sales at higher and higher price points in technology because people are get, getting more and more comfortable with going out and getting information elsewhere and then making decisions. Interesting data point in the consumer world. Uh, I was up in Toronto with a class a few weeks ago, and they were talking about something that I believe is already out in Phoenix and is coming here, here in Austin where I live. But they were talking about it coming to Toronto, and that is something called um, Cartopia. Um, or is it Carvana? It's Carvana. Sorry, it's not Cartopia. It's Carvana. There's going to be a competitor really soon called Cartopia. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, Cartopia. We can be Cartopia. Well, Carvana is is people going to a vending machine and buying a car. What? Now, yes, seriously. This no is- car salesman? <laughs> That's terrible. But I'm like, wait, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, where can I get Where can I get As As people's buying process changes their criteria for buying changes i mean that's that's these probably the second largest expense b to c that you're ever going to make you're going to buy a house you're going to buy a car think about how much of the house buying decision has gone online and and how much how far we are through that decision making process before we engage a realtor these days and so b to b is no different so yeah in some cases i really need this I know as a as a small business owner and a you know my small business owning friends my medium sized business owning friends you know people up into the twenty five million dollar business range they buy software online without ever talking to a rep they they try it as a small business they grow it as a larger business they're making decisions now up into the thousands of dollars per month for subscription software in very real sense yes sales teams as we know them have already gone away in many areas. Now, that doesn't mean that sales goes away. It just means that sales are going to happen differently. And the the role of the sales engineer, when I start to need to know how to integrate this into my enterprise, I'm going to need somebody to help me with that. When I need additional assistance, I need a relationship manager. It's not that sales goes away. It's what the sales team does. And we've seen this shift start to happen already. Yes, the role at in a smaller sales in a smaller sale. So many of those are happening online now. But what about the information that they need and the help they need? What about how to build on the next steps of my software that I've already purchased? What if I need additional decision support? We're going to become much more a relationship-oriented culture when it comes to sales. And the what we used to think of as customer service. That, that blend, I mean, that used to be sacred. That wasn't sales. And already co- companies are, are bleeding helpful sales advice into that. Um, those, those departments are, are melding together so that it's, it's a combination of sales and advice. It's not, it's not 
oh, well, I can't help you with that. You have to talk to a salesperson. If somebody asks, hey, what would I do if I wanted to you know, increase the number of seats I had or I wanted to get more analytics or I, I wanted to add my own data to this, they're preparing for that by shifting what customer service does into a blend of customer service and sales. Customer sales, maybe. I don't know what they're going to call it. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're starting to see that change. And so that's my prediction is is that the sales teams as we know them are going to have to change and shift based on the different buying habits of the market. And it's not just B2C and it's not just little little sales. It's, it's big things, B2B sales up into the enterprise sale. It's, it's changing and we're gonna have to respond to it. We can't force the market to buy the way we sell. We have to sell the way they buy. Nice. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, good points. All right, now now your myth, your fortune number one makes sense to me. I no longer think you're crazy about that one. Right, excellent. Let's talk about fortune number two. And this one actually has, it, it, has hit a, it does hit a, a hot button of mine. So your fortune number two is you will stop watching your competition. Now this hits a hot button for me because nothing drives me more crazy than when someone says, competition, oh, we don't really have any competition. We don't worry about that. I think, oh my gosh, you totally have competition. <laughs> You're not looking. And I, I know you don't mean this. So tell me, when you stop watching your competition, what do you mean? <laughs> what I mean by this is, and I grew up in businesses like this. The businesses I, I worked for early in my career had one or two key competitors and everybody bought from one or the other. Um, I, I worked for LexisNexis, and our key competitor was Westlaw. Um, I worked for Dunham Bradstreet, and depending on which, which market vertical you were talking about, there were other competitors there. But you knew who they were, and, and you were head-to-head -head every single time with that competitor. And, you know, it, it resulted in some, some pretty straightforward and, and frankly, some, some kind of minute and detailed and, and often feature-based mm. discussions. And what I mean by this is you're going to stop watching your competition because your competition is going to be everybody. Garmin did not think that Google Maps was going to come along and, and put them out of the navigation business. Yeah, they never would have looked at Google as a competitor. They wouldn't have watched that. That's They're looking at TomTom. Absolutely. You know, Garmin's watching TomTom. TomTom's watching Garmin. And kaboom. Who thought that Amazon was going to... You know, who, who thought that Amazon was going to be in seriously endangering Walmart and, and kind of the same people who were not watching Walmart put pennies out of business. And, you know, it, it, it's just the way we think about our competition is going to have to stop being who is going after us head to head today and who has the capabilities that might put us out of business tomorrow. It's um, it's a whole different way of thinking about your competition. It's it's not about products. It's about capability. It's not about what markets they're in today. It's what capability do they have to come and eat your lunch tomorrow? You you may not be worried about a, a small competitor. We we frequently just didn't watch these little guys, but but now massive competitors are not only buying, you know, the, the little guys, it's, it's companies like Google or Amazon or even Walmart. You know, you think about the companies that are buying technology companies. It's very interesting. So watching what's going on, the other thing 
that you have to watch that isn't somebody coming out with a product or or getting all this this funding windfall or deciding to take a capability they've got to market. You've got to watch what's going on in the legal community. Who's suing who and why? I had a very interesting experience with this just before I came to Pragmatic, which was one of my product managers, he had a product that was purchased by 80% of the teaching institutions of the United States. I mean, it was, it was something that was absolutely mandatory. And, you know, this was a smart guy. And, and he came to me one day and he said, you know, he said, there's this lawsuit brewing. It's, it's in a, you know, just in a court kind of someplace, you know, we weren't even really watching, but he said, this lawsuit could have major implications to our, our product acceptance. He said, if this goes the wrong way for us, these schools are going to have the option, you know, because of precedent, not to buy this product. He said, I'm, I'm worried about this. Now, you know, the lawsuits take a long time, especially these big kinds of lawsuits. And he was watching this carefully. And, and he realized, he said, you know what? He said, we, we've got to diversify. He said, because we'll, we'll be done. He said, 80% of this product will go away. And that product was about 20% of our overall revenue for the entire company. And he brought this business case to me and then in turn to our board and said, you know, we've got these other product ideas we've been playing with, but they, you know, we haven't prioritized them, but it's my assertion that given what's going on over here, we need to, and we all agree. And, you know, it, it took, I don't know, it was probably six months before I had the first one out in the market. And he started building a market base with these other products that, you know, we, we weren't going to bother with, but sure enough, Rebecca, this, this decision on this lawsuit didn't go our way. Within two years, that particular product had lost 40% of its market value, 40% oh, wow. in just a heartbeat. I mean, in, in our market's version of a heartbeat, but because he had been watching this and had, had raised the flag and gotten the, gotten reprioritization, we were able to move, you know, we had some time, we moved fast enough. This turned into about a 5% hit. Now, you know, nobody wants a 5%. No. Yeah, it's better than 20. We're better than 20. I mean, you know, we had a couple hundred thousand dollar hole to fill, but we didn't have, you know, several million. So you can't just watch the competitors. You've got to be looking around. And and this is this is an absolute prediction. And, and the good people are already doing it. I mean, this guy was very, very good at his job. And he was watching this stuff. You also got to look for culture shifts. Um, you know, we've seen this in retail. A lot of retailers, it, it, it's not because they're offering the wrong things. It's that Certain products are not as popular with with younger shoppers as they used to be. Technology is is the new purse. You know, your, your your smartphone is the new purse or the new cool clothing trend. I mean, it's just the things that people are buying now are different, and you got to watch cultural shifts. You've got to watch what's going on in regulation and legislation because they can put you out of business faster than a competitor. So we're going to stop watching our competition because we have to watch everything. That's a really good point. We're going to do a podcast, maybe even digging a little bit deeper in here. I think the uh, the Google Maps Garmin comparison really just personally even got you thinking like, okay, how do I look for those competitors where I, I wouldn't expect and what can I watch for in oh, the legal piece? So. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. All right. Myth number three, the anti-Nike myth. Success is what you don't do. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, primarily when you when you think about this last prediction, 
okay, now I got to watch everybody. Right. Now I gotta, you know, awfully busy. <laughs> awfully busy. And, you know, I, I'm just going to stand in one place and look in circles. And, and I think we've already sort of started responding to that by, by what I used to call when I was out in the world, chasing everybody in the field. And product teams see so many opportunities because there are, I mean, we are living in a fabulous time for product people, for solving problems, because our ideas about what problems are and what there is to solve out there, the, the internet of things and, and the entire technology of wellness, these are two areas to me that I just find fascinating. And I think that product, all product people do, because once we realize that, that the culture and the markets now are accepting of technology that will solve our home problems and our health problems and monitor them and give us suggestions. And, you know, it, it just opened this massive opportunity to solve problems in a way that the market may not have been ready for even five to seven years ago. And you think of, of health bots and microchips curing cancer in your body before it happens. Right. Rewriting your DNA and just these fascinating things that are happening that as, as people who love to solve problems, our brains are exploding with opportunity. And as a, as a product team, we want to chase them all. We want to solve them all because they're so exciting. And, it, and, and this is that, that challenge that we talked about initially, you know, when, when the, the instructors got together and, and the things that I hear out in the field now as an instructor, that the, the teams want to go after so many things because there's so much opportunity and, and they feel constricted and the, the leaders feel kind of the same way. It's like, we've got the strategy, we have got to execute on it, or, or we're going to have a million unfinished projects or... Or we're going to be trying to further too many things to ever get anything to market. And that's why my prediction is success is going to be what you don't do. You are going, we are going to have to challenge ourselves more than ever. We are in such a renaissance of opportunity right now that it, it's going to have to be what is the most attractive opportunity? What do we do best that we can pair with what the market needs most to create the most momentum for us and effectiveness in the market. It's going to be all about picking our spots and, and knowing how to do that. And boy, that's a challenge because it's so exciting. You know, I want to work on all this stuff. It's so cool, but I'm going to have to pick a couple things. I am going to have to identify what are we best at? What's most important to the market and where can we make the most impact the fastest? And frankly, with maybe some things we can reuse from what we already did. I mean, that's what Google did. Google didn't say, hey, we're going to go after Garmin or, or TomTom. They just said, hey, we're building all this stuff. Uh, we could probably eat their lunch now. Right. We could take that too. Well, And it's interesting because we always, not always, but a lot of people talk about um, – you know, shiny object syndrome, how executives get distracted by the shiny new objects or development maybe gets, you know, distracted by shiny new technology. But, but I think your point is too that product managers, particularly these days with some of the, the, the trends and technology that expand beyond it, that it, we're in danger of, of having that same problem. And we need to be smart 
and we need to be diligent about staying focused. We do. We have to be clear-eyed about an opportunity. You know, not everything is an op- you know all opportunities are not opportunities for us. Mm, yeah. We we gotta we gotta pick, and we need to do it. You know, through a filter of of where we are most likely to succeed and where the opportunity is most urgent and where people are most willing to pay us to solve it. All right. Now, some of those myths might leave our audience feeling a little bit sad, but I think the fourth myth, or not fourth myth, the fourth fortune, uh, they're not myths, uh, the fourth fortune is one bound to make them happy, which is that they will still be here. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of jobs that that the things that we develop is... is, um, solution providers in the, in the technology space, we're, we're eliminating some professions. You know, there aren't going to be a lot of shoe salesmen once everybody's on Zappos, as far as I'm concerned. The, the poor shoe salesmen are going to have to go work someplace else. Uh, you know, there are fewer realtors. There are, there are with the advent of autonomous cars, you know, even our Uber, Uber drivers who, who just came on the scene and are so excited about that disruptive technology, they're going to be worried because cars are going to be driving themselves even you know, highly skilled people like, like surgeons and doctors are, are being bl- displaced by some of this technology that's coming along. But we're all going to need to be, there, there are these problems that need to be solved. And and the great news about being on a product team or, or part of a, a product development process is there are always problems to solve. Somebody's got to go out there and listen to the market, identify those problems and, and get them solved and bring them back out to the market and say, here they are. So we're going to be around. We are going to be around. There is not going to be any shortage of need for the product manager or the product market manager. Yeah, so we're we're not going away for a while. We got a lot of competitors to to watch. We we've got things to do. <laughs> we do. We got also there's there's a lot to do. Yes. Yes. Diane, this was great. Uh, is there any parting thought that you want to give our audience before you leave? You know, it was a lot of fun, Rebecca. I love talking about this, and it makes me so excited about what we do. I, I just want to encourage them to to keep working on their skills, to keep listening to the market. I, I love this Winston Churchill quote that success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And and I know that product teams are, are out there and excited and have the courage to continue. So I hope everybody continues to to listen to their markets, bring great solutions out to market, and and enjoy what they do. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Diane. Thanks for joining us. Uh, that does it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>